This episode is brought to you by Serve HQ. Train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online, fast, and easy with Serve HQ. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Welcome back or welcome for the first time to Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George. I'm really honored to have you with us and I'm really honored to have our guest with us today. Dr. Crawford Loritz is a sought after speaker. He's recently retired from his preaching post at a church outside of Atlanta and he is nationally known. He's traveled the world. He's written books, he's changed lives, he's preached memorable messages, and he's just an all-around incredible wealth of wisdom. I've been listening and reading uh, information on Crawford Loritz and from Crawford Loritz for years, and the chance to actually interview him was a dream come true. I know you're going to appreciate what he has to say. Whether you're a church leader or a leader in a church, you're going to really be blessed by what he's going to share with us today. Hey, we are sponsored by Serve HQ this month. Serve HQ provides leadership training videos for your people so that you can upload your own or you can use some of theirs uh, to really bless a lot of people. So make sure that you check that out, servehq.church, to find out more from them. Okay, well, today we get to hear from Dr. Loritz. Here we go. Dr. Crawford Loritz, am I saying your last name right? I want to get that right. Uh, you hit it right on the nail. Okay. Right on the head. La- yeah. Loritz. All right. W- tell us about yourself. I mean, I, I feel like I know you. I've been listening to you for years. Our audience may not. Yeah. Where are you from? And give me the, the, the journey of yourself. Okay. Well, I was uh, born in Newark, New Jersey, um, and uh, spent the first 12 years of my life there. And then our family moved to Plainfield, New Jersey. I, Come from a just a wonderful background, great Christian family, and uh, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 13 and a half years old, almost 14, and um, I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old, although uh, I tell people um, I wouldn't listen to anything I had to say until I was in my late 20s, but <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I went to a small church there in Plainfield, New Jersey. That's all within the metropolitan New York area. And uh, our pastor had a real heart for young people and just encouraged us. And, and I just had this desire as a teenager to share my faith with, uh, with my friends. And I st- then start speaking in youth groups and other things like that. And uh yeah, so I went to college in Philadelphia, a place called Philadelphia College of Bible. It's now called Cairn University. Uh, that's where I met my bride, and we got married. I was still in undergraduate school and um, celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary last year, uh, in 2021. And and uh, so she's just been a joy of my life. Um, after graduating college, I spent time with a group called American Missionary Fellowship as an evangelist with them for four years. And then in 1976, uh, my wife and I moved to uh, Dallas, Texas, where Tony Evans and I co-founded Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Hmm. Was there for two years and uh, uh, church kind of grew rapidly and and then got recruited by Campus Crusade for Christ. And 1978 and uh, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and, and began traveling, speaking on university campuses across the country, some out of the country, and spent 27 wonderful years on staff with Campus Crusade as a, mm. as a traveling speaker, but also as an associate U.S. director the last 
10, 12 years of my time on, on staff with them. And, and then in 2005, became senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, uh, a great group of people here in Roswell, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, and uh, retired as senior pastor um, uh, Easter Sunday, 2021, April 4th, and uh, was there for 15 years and uh, almost 16 years. Great, great, great run. We've got four children. Um, our son, Brian, he's a teaching pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's an author and speaker, and God's used him in a wonderful way. Uh, a daughter who uh, lives in Memphis and with her family, and another son who's a pastor in Las Vegas and uh, uh, speaks a great deal. And uh, then uh, we have a daughter who's a physician. She and her husband are both physicians. They're in, they're in Grand Rapids, and we've got 11 grandkids. And so... Mm. That's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, I, I, there's so many things there I'd love to talk about, but yeah. the idea of your last Sunday at the church and your resignation Sunday is Easter Sunday, boy, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? I mean, I've often thought on Easter when I drive away from the church, it doesn't get, it doesn't get better, and you decided just to walk away. Yeah, I chose that... Um, because I wanted, I wanted my last Sunday to make a statement that it's all about Jesus. Mm. It's all about the resurrected Christ, and, and it's been a privilege to serve him, and he's been a theme of my life and ministry there. And, um, but after I, re I retired from the church, but I retired from ministry, I had up a, started an organization called Beyond Our Generation, and, uh, and I just want to put wind in the sails of emerging leaders and be a cheerleader for them. People did that for me. They saw stuff in me that I didn't see in myself. They believed in me. Mm. And uh, along the way, and so that's that's what we're doing right now. Well, I, I love that you mentioned Campus Crusade, uh, now affectionately known as Crew. Yeah, um, I did uh, work as in campus ministry to some extent via a church, not necessarily just campus ministry, and had a great relationship with the people at Crew. Yeah, Bill Bright was the uh, the architect behind so much of that. I'm sure you work closely with him. He was a legend. Yes, we lost him a few years ago. What What did you learn from him that you still think about today? Oh my goodness, um, uh, so many things. Number one, he's he's probably the godliest man I've ever met in my life. Hmm. You know, and I learned from him just watching him that success is spelled focus and faithfulness. Wow. Focus and faithfulness. Um, I also learned that uh, leadership is all, is about clarity. It's about clarity. And uh, he was very clear, very clear. Although Crew is a massive organization, I serve on the board now, and you know we've got what twenty thousand staff members in you know uh, one hundred and eighty ninety countries of the world and uh, big budgets and all that stuff. And you might think that the founder of that was very complex. He, no, he was not. He was very simple. Hmm. He was very clear, never moved away from, from the focus on winning people to Christ, building them up in their faith and challenging them to go to the world with the gospel. And that clarity benchmarked my leadership. Hmm. And that that's what leadership is really all about. And he was just terribly focused in a, in a, in a, in a wonderful way. Also, um, he was authentically humble hmm. um, and uh, very, very, very others oriented. And if you were around him, 
he had this uncanny ability, and I know it sounds like a cliche, to make you feel like the most important person in the room. I'll tell you a quick story. When I joined staff uh, uh, 1978, uh, his assistant, we were out at Arrowhead Springs at the time at new staff training. That's, you know, that's in Southern California, the outside of San Bernardino. And uh, so one of his assistants said to me, he said, would you like to ride with me to the airport to pick up Dr. Bright? And he was coming in. I said, I'd love to. And uh, so we get in the car to go. And, and his assistant told me, he said, now he may not, he's got some things that he needs to take care of between now and the time we get back to the, get back to to Arrowhead Springs. He's got to leave for an international flight in the morning. And he had this thick folder. That that thing must have been about three inches. And he said of, of stuff that he just needs to look through. So so we get in and I'm in the back seat and he 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 gets in the he gets in the car and uh, his assistant just hands him this folder and and Dr. Bright takes the folder and looks at me and he says Crawford tell me about yourself. Tell me about your vision. And, you know, and I'm, so I'm talking to him, but I'm getting nervous because he's got to get this stuff done. <laughs> and he just pushed it aside and put his arm around me in the back seat and just asked me about my family, asked me about my heart, my life, my vision, all of that. And uh, I'm sure he stayed up late that night getting that stuff done. But uh, that deeply impressed me. Wow that it's all about people. And here this guy is the leader of the world's largest Christian organization of its kind. Wow. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm a novice new staff. And he just uh, made me feel like I was uh, the most important person in the world. That marked me deeply. What a great story. Oh, that's fantastic. I I'm curious about, here you are traveling around speaking so much. And as communicators, you know, we, we feed off a lot about our audience, you know, yeah. learning who they are, because preaching at at Fellowship Bible was a whole lot different than traveling around. Oh, yeah, that's right. How did you, you know, just from the speaking standpoint, how did you maintain connection? Um, you know, what were the the kind of the, the talking points in your mind that you thought everybody's going to relate to this, regardless wherever I am, that you felt like you could hit no matter if you were overseas or you were down the street? Well, you know, I think you, you, um, the, there's a big difference, and you nailed it, between uh, uh, speaking with a round-trip ticket, you know, traveling and speaking someplace, and then preaching at a pastoring at a local church. Right. Uh, when you're traveling and speaking, uh, they expect you to land a plane. In other words, that, that, that message, there's closure to it. You're not necessarily trying to build something through that message. Now, I do say this to younger speakers. If you're invited to speak at a conference, you're not there to, 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 you know, it's not a gig. You're not there to do your own thing and this kind of thing. That's self-serving. You need to find out what what's the purpose of the event mm. and how can I contribute to the translation of that vision of reality. And so you do need to be aware of that. And I, it's just not a gig, okay? It, you're, and it's not speech making. It's a, so, mm. but, but in terms of uh, pastoring, the, the big difference is that you're, you're building something. And typically, if you're doing a series of messages, it's connected to, number one, where, where the church is, what's taking place there. And you've got all these things in the back of your mind that you're trying to connect the hoses. And, and, uh, and the climax of your message may not be that individual message. Hmm. It could be two or three messages down. You're trying to build something. Now, 
the truth of the matter is, though, I mean, honestly, people don't go to churches as consistently as we like to think, even as a pastor, say, so that, you know, mm-hmm. every message does need to have some closure to it. Because chances are you're not going to see those people for another couple of weeks, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. Even the most faithful <laughs> ones. So, but I think, I think that's kind of the difference there. You're shepherding people to a direction. And when you're on a platform and invited speaker, you're delivering a message at an event. Right. So that's the, to me, that's a different mindset there. You know, I was going to ask you about this later, but we'll go to it right now. I mean, so much has changed between those days and now, and specifically since COVID and now in people's regularity of attending church. I mean, even before COVID, we were noticing you know, what do the stats say? One out of four weeks people were coming, and now it's like one out of six. Yeah. So it almost is like you are a bit of a uh, of a traveling speaker to some degree because it's a new audience every weekend. Yes. That whole idea that, you know, like our mutual friend uh, Andy Stanley talks about of it's a six-part series, but it's all one sermon just kind of building. Yeah, yes. You don't yes. get that anymore. Yeah. I mean, what are you noticing about the trends in the church right now and how pastors should uh, uh, flex with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you actually answered the question by the way you phrased it. I, I think um, we're in a season now that requires great flexibility and not to be tied to um, any one main deliverable. Uh, you know, you have to realize that your goal, your goal is to present people mature in Christ if you're the pastor of a church. Hmm. And so you've got to, you've got to understand that there are many touches and you've got to set people up and, um, and there are many ways of ministering to them. However, the church gathered is still the most important. And I tell people preaching is not everything in a church. That's absolutely right. But preaching lights all the fires in the church. Hmm. And so, you 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 have to be you know you have to use media uh, you you've got to figure out ways of engaging people on their turf. However, I don't want to I don't want to give up too much of this because um, there there is a need for people to gather together. Uh, you know, as my friend Tony Evans says that you know you people say, well, I go to church online. Well, no, you did. You didn't go to church online. You didn't. You heard them. You heard a message online. <laughs> you heard a great speaker online. You took notes online, but you didn't go to church online. There, there, there is something about physical, visible presence, and so I think we need to encourage people to get there. But at the same time, we also need to be thinking about multiple ways in which to deliver the message. We've got to, um, you know, shorten it sometimes, and and. Uh, utilize social media and all these other things. The, 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 the goal is to get the message in the hearts and lives of the people. So we have to be flexible. Mm. I'm curious about that because I, I do hear that a lot. I, I went to church online, which means it was on in the background while they were making lunch or something like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but then I hear people that show up and say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. And I think, well, it wasn't all for you and it's not just a spectator sport. Um, and this is just off the cuff, and I think about this a lot, but I'm wondering what your answer would be. Walk me through what a really great um, church experience should look like for a fully devoted follower of Jesus. How should they 
prepare? How should they arrive? How should they interact? How should they view that experience rather than just thumbs up, thumbs down? I liked the songs I didn't. I liked the teaching I didn't. How does it become a church gathered rather than just a service consumed? Well, you know, I, I think it begins with how you think. Okay. That's where it starts with. And uh, part of the problem is, is that we have trained people to be consumers. And I'm talking about guys like myself. Mm-hmm. And in our pursuit of relevance, we have to keep in mind that the rudderless pursuit of relevance will make us paradoxically terribly irrelevant. Mm. Because in our souls, we want nobility. And the word worship, we have to help people understand what worship means. The word worship, the first mention of worship, the law of first mention is back in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham is offering up his son uh, Isaac. And worship has to do with sacrifice. Worship is not about me. Hmm. It's not really about what I like. That's good. Um, worship, worship is engaging with the God of the universe. We gather together to exalt him, and we anticipate that he has something to say to us. Now, it's not a question of whether or not we like it. Now, there is a tension here, right? I mean, we shouldn't be jerks. And, 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 and you know, if you're planning worship service, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be boring. And, 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 and yeah, you, you need to do your work. You need to understand where the people are coming from. Obviously, you need to put the clothes of the people wrapped around what you're trying to deliver. All of that is true. But if you're going to get the most out of a worship service, that requires sacrifice and maturity. Mm. And the understanding that it's not about me. The music is not about my preferences because what I don't like, the guy next to me might love. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a mature Christian, I'm going to say, well, yeah, I don't, that's not my genre. But man, if this guy's engaging with Jesus with that, bless the Lord and I'll raise my hands too. Mm. And so I think we, we've got to get away from, from the entertainment model. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I, I got to be careful with that because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with liking church. And I don't think there's anything wrong with 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 smiling and 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 programming things that help people to have fun. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But we got to remember that we're we're there. We're there not to vote on how good things are going. We're there to engage with the God of the universe mm. and that God has something to say. That's well said. And then we have to help them. And this is our fault. This is our fault. This is, my, this is, this is, this is a leadership issue, right? It's a leadership issue. I, I got to help people understand the difference between preaching and speech making, for example. Mm-hmm. The preaching is not speech making. Preaching is a word from God for the people at the moment in his, history. So there is an expectation that I've got to cultivate in the hearts and minds of the people that I'm shepherding that when they come, God has something to say to me. Mm. Speech making has to do with putting things together. It's audience centered and, you know, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but you just gave a speech and they like your stories and your illustrations and some of your application points. And we like that. We'll vote on that. That's good. Mm. But, you know, when you hear from God, he might, he might shatter your expectations and he might make you feel uncomfortable. And if you leave a worship service always feeling good, then something's wrong. Mm. Something's wrong. 
You, you, you ought to sometimes, yes, we ought to feel great, but sometimes we ought to leave there feeling convicted, mm -hmm. depending on what God has said to us. So I don't know. I mean, you're asking a guy, I, I'm at an age right now in a stage of my life where I think sometimes uh, we've gotten too cute for our own good. Mm -hmm. And so we're getting what, 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 you know, we're getting the response. We're training people to respond the way we have, well, we've trained them. Right. And uh, so I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of us over COVID, the, the pastors I was talking to, we were all thinking, we have not done a good job discipling our people if they are behaving this way mm -hmm. uh, when we're shut down or we're open or during the political season, uh, race riots, all these things. Tell me um, a little bit about just from your perspective, because you're a little further down the line. You've seen a lot more things than, than many of us have. Mm -hmm. Over the last couple of years, what did you see the church do you were proud of? What did you see the church do that broke your heart? Well, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of the emerging leaders in the church now. I just really think, despite all the other stuff, and we'll get to that in a second, that, that's kind of like cratered me a little bit here in recent years. I, I think that there are young leaders now with vision and uh, who are doing incredible work. Um, they, they're, they're, they're impacting at-risk communities, um, you know, and establishing churches and rural communities in these urban areas, and the leadership is out there. And so I'm, I'm a big cheerleader for that group that's 45 and younger, man. I give them a standing ovation, hmm. um, and I'm very encouraged. I really am. I'm very encouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged with their clarity. There seems to be a new movement over the last, I would say, 15 years of guys who are who are excellent communicators and Bible preachers who preach with courage and relevance and clarity. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I'm I'm excited about that. I really I really am. I also um, and you use the term flexibility. I think we have become far more flexible in recent years in terms of how we do church, how we approach things. And, uh, and I'm excited about, about that. I'm also excited, and this is going to be a little bit of a paradox because this is also the other side of this is a discouraging thing. I'm also excited despite the, the nonsense and confusion with all the racial under, misunderstanding and stuff that's taking place. One of the fastest growing segments of the church today is the multi-ethnic church mm. in spite of that. Mm -hmm. In spite of that. So I'm very encouraged about that. And I can go on and on with, about those things. Now, some of the downsides here. You know, I just want to be straight up with you. I am. Um, I have been embarrassed and ashamed of how many evangelicals have acted over the last 10 years, mm -hmm. culminating over the last four or five years. It has been horrendous. It has been embarrassing. Um, you know, we, we, have, we, we have bought into a culture war theology mm. that's, that has a limited menu of the sins that we denounce. Now, I might agree with the, some of what they're saying, the sins that are listed, and maybe even politically. But I think what has taken place is that we, we've created this angry evangelical and we, we're putting primary passion into secondary issues. Mm -hmm. And what's being, what's being lost is authentic love, authentic compassion, the beauty of Jesus. And I just, I just don't like the brand. We're getting, we're getting too close to power. 
And uh, a friend of mine says says it this way. And I think we've gotten, and I think quite frankly, quite frankly, we have gotten too um, too close to politically. We've gotten too too intertwined. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine says that, hey, look, when the church goes to bed with politics, it's the church that gets pregnant, and the offspring doesn't look like our father. <laughs> and uh, I think you know that's good. We 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 just need to be careful. And so we get, we've attached all these barnacles to the gospel. Hmm. And the problem is, is that, you know, we're, 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 unbelievers have to swim, swim through all of this contaminated water to get to fresh water. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be clear and pure about the gospel, about what it is. And that has disappointed me, you know, very, very deeply. And I'm not being political here. I'm just saying that that we have we have erected barriers to people getting to Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, and we've become cluttered and we've and I think in many respects we've lost our prophetic integrity mm-hmm. because once you get associated the we get associated to a, a political party too closely this kind of thing then we get myopic mm-hmm. and you end up trading you end up trading character you end up yeah that's right you end up trading char- trading character for cause. And whenever you trade character for cause, you're going to reap corruption and confusion. And I think we've seen some of that. So you didn't ask me all of that, but that's 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 what I have been terribly concerned about in recent years. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip people for your team. What if there was a resource that made it easier? Let me recommend ServeHQ to you. ServeHQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people. Check it out at servehq.church. Now, back to our conversation. Well, thank you for sharing that. I was hoping you would go there. I've heard you talk about that to some degree. And yeah. I'm fascinated by what you said, though, about the, the, the one encouraging thing is the multi-ethnic church growing. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because there was so much division. Yes. Was it the churches that decided, we're not going to jump to one side or the other. We're going to embrace all and be pure about the gospel. And it just began to grow? Yeah, I, I think it's that. But I also think, uh, you know, it, it gets back and I... <laughs> It's it's the, that younger crowd that that I like. I like the independence of that younger crowd. That uh, it's that forty five and younger, who have been clear. They have a good handle in terms of what the gospel is all about and what the church should look like, and uh, they have a clear vision of Ephesians chapter two, that that the ch- church should be wherever possible the ris- visible representation mm. of the kingdom of God in the context of human history, and that we need to live out that identity of having been reconciled. So, I think that groundswell is hasn't gone away, mm-hmm. um, and I think some of these churches that are led by these younger leaders, um, they're they're getting it. Yeah, they're getting it. Um, they're not as mired in, in uh, provincial, sometimes denominational loyalties and these kinds of things. And so it's, it's refreshing. And I, 
I think that's the case. Now, some of the larger, older churches uh, where a number of African-Americans and other minorities were going, uh, you know, in recent years, a lot of those churches, a lot of black folks left those churches and a lot of Hispanic folks left those churches because of just the issues and how they were handled and not feeling embraced. But um, yeah, you know, I think the, the, the other ones are, are, are growing, the newer ones and, and, um, and there are leaders out there that are pounding in the table and being clear about what the gospel implies. Along with that comes the people that have walked away and we're hearing this growing term, uh, deconstruction or deconstructionalism. It's basically people from that are just deconstructing a lot of different things. For some, it could just be a religious system. For others, it's a set of beliefs. For some, it's just a set of behaviors. What are you seeing when it comes to that? Uh, what are you seeing in the regards to those that are leaving the church and then blaming it on, um, you know, a, a lack of faith or there is no God or we can't trust the Bible? Is it really more of church hurt? What, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I think it's a number of factors. I think church hurt, it, it, um, profound disappointment goes back to all of that, where they've seen some disingenuous Christians. Not only that, they've seen abusive, abuse of power and all of these things. And then they say, I don't, don't want to have any of that. And then what ends up happening is, is that um, um, they make a four-way, they 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 step back and then they, they allow patterns for the culture. They make assumptions about the culture, where they are, and they embrace those things. And then they edit the church. Hmm. And therefore, then they, they, they deconstruct their faith that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some some deconstruction is positive, though. Correct. I agree. Some deconstruction is positive. I think there needs to be deconstruction in terms of. You know, I went back and said the barnacles that have been attached to the gospel. Uh, some of that said we need to identify what, well, what is scriptural and what is just legalism and what are a set of assumptions that we've made or, or what, I mean, that, you know, and, and so we need to deconstruct that. Mm. That's a healthy thing because it leads to a purity and a reconstruction that is mired in the text of scripture, the objective propositional statements of the word of God. And so I don't think we need to be afraid of that. But a lot of the deconstruction that takes place is that people have moved to the culture and they've stopped questioning the culture. They, they've made a set of assumptions that they bought into. And that culture has now become the standard by and through which they judge the church or they judge truth. And uh, and so I think that, you know, that's that's kind of how I feel, although it's more complex than that. But I, I, I do I do believe that. As, as, as Christian leaders, as pastors and church folk, uh, we got to be very careful that we don't give the devil a stick to hit us upside the head with. We've got to stop being so disingenuous. We've got to be very careful that, that we, don't, we don't import things that are not a part of the gospel hmm. and uh, that we don't, we don't make preferences equal to biblical convictions and truth. You know, and I, and, I, and I do think young Christians have been offended by that. They've been hurt by that. They've been abused by those things. And so, you know. You've mentioned this now a couple of times. I'd love to hear you talk more about it. The barnacles we've attached to the gospel, the stick we keep giving the devil. What are the things that are preferences that we've turned into 
propositional truth from the gospel. I mean, obviously, we can think about politics and our, our persuasion there where we basically ask Jesus to endorse our beliefs. But, but what are some other things that you're seeing the church get caught up in? Well, it, it's, it's like, um, well, you, you take the Christian school movement, for example. I mean, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking that. Some of our kids went to Christian schools, and our church had a Christian school that we, you know, that we, we helped establish. And so I'm not knocking that. But whenever you stand up and say uh, that, that, you know, uh, the only way to teach a child, uh, your child, uh, a biblical worldview and not to get the world to really contaminate his thinking, this kind of thing is to protect their minds and protect the content that they're getting and then protect the environment. And the Christian school is the only way of doing that. Mm. I get problems with that. Yep. You know, because where do you find that? Uh, and, uh, or, or the homeschool movement or these other things. Where, where now again? These are great movements. Don't get me wrong. And I don't. I think. I think Christian worldview is very important. But you can't impact that which you don't come in contact with. And your child has been given has been given the great commission and declared to be salt and light. And if I understand that passage in Matthew five, that's talking about proximity to that which needs to, the salt needs to be put on and the darkness that needs to have light. And so you got to be very careful that. You you don't you don't take your conviction and make that you know the sixty seventh book of the Bible, hmm. and so then we get confused. Uh, the the other one is uh, you know Christian nationalism, assuming that Jesus died to save Western civilization. Hmm. No, Jesus didn't die to save Western civilization. He died that everybody in Western civilization might have an opportunity to be saved. Mm -hmm. And so not assuming, not assuming that, hey, look, and, and by the way, I'm, a, I'm patriotic. OK, I, let me just say that right? I'll die for the freedoms of, of this country and this kind of thing. I'm, I really am. But you got to know the difference. You got to know the difference between I mean, he, I. I I am no more, as an American Christian, I'm no more significant and important as my brothers and sisters, you know, in rural Zimbabwe or, or in, in rural Indonesia or, or wherever. Mm. And so you, you have to tone down your language and stop making assumptions about the truths of God's word and see it for what it really is. And so I think that the so all of these all of these things uh, these are barnacles, right? Right. And a part of part of this whole the reason why we get caught up with this stuff is the lazy thinking that we have as Christians. Mm. You know, we allow some strong personality with strong convictions to pontificate, and all of a sudden we assume that everything that that person says is is true and right. And it's it's not necessarily so. Mm -hmm. And so we need to we need to get back to the purity of God's word, what it's all about. I mean, one of the things, and, and I'm glad we're breaking out of this now. You know, is that um, sometimes when we talk about justice issues, for example, it, uh, we have a very narrow view about justice issues or about or about life. And so we think, okay, now if you're a Christian, you're going to be pro life. Well, I am pro life, and I I I uh, I unashamedly, and I'm glad that Roe v. Wade was overturned and all this other kind of stuff. However, to be pro-life in the Bible means, <laughs> it, it means human flourishing mm -hmm. completely. It means that the conceived must live, 
the living must be cared for, and the poor and the oppressed must be defended. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what it, that's what God means by all of that. Mm-hmm. And so we get a narrow framework, and then we attach that, and whatever. So that's some of what I mean. From the womb to the tomb, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, you lived through the '60s and saw the great division in our country during that time. Many people are are comparing what we've experienced over the past couple of years to the late '60s. Um, cultural unrest and upheaval and big, uh, you know, shifts in the way that we think and church and God and politics and all that. Do you see any similarities? Does that give you pause for concern going forward? Does it give you any hope? Do you see this kind of uh, uh, us crawling out of this better, different? Uh, what are you seeing from that perspective? Well, it's it's confusing to me, to be honest with you. Um, because it's layered, and I, I don't want to get into some type of binary conclusions here, but I, I think, you know, my oldest son asked me this, um, oh, Dad, what's the difference between, you know, the aftermath of the 60s, you know, the 70s and 80s, and where we are right now? Mm. And I said to him, and I surprised him, I said, uh, uh, it's worse now. Hmm. Worse in the sense of the conversation. Okay. Certainly things have gotten better in terms of laws and, and, and this kind of thing. And statistically, the growth of the middle class and, and minority, community, all, all that stuff. I can't argue with that. Many things have gotten better. But in terms of the polarization, it's worse now. Mm. It's absolutely worse. Um, the, the, the lack of civility now. Yeah. We could have civil conversation and discourse about these issues coming out of the 60s and the 70s and 80s. We could talk about these things, but right now it's it's like it's like everybody has a oh a, 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 a cup of hot coffee steaming, I mean just scorching hot coffee that's filled to the brim, and we're bumping up against each other, and then we get mad at each other because you burn me, mm-hmm. and it, it, we're just so on edge that we we've just lost any sense of objectivity. And and civility, mm-hmm. and and that's I think that's what's different right now. Um, we've we've allowed evangel- evangelicals have have allowed ourselves to be weaponized. Mm. I really believe that the political structures have used us. We've been courting power, but now they view us as a voting block. And because you know they'll they'll wink and nod and say, okay, we see your issues here. Here are like the five or six issues that you have. We'll give you that and this kind of thing. But unwittingly, we've ingested the power language and the and and the you know the just the the hostile stance for one another and passed it off as being prophetic. <laughs> and it's it's just a confusing time right now. It really, really is. I would imagine social media doesn't help that. Oh no! And everybody wants to be a prophet, right? And then we're then we're calling people that we just that who you know we disagree with, and we're calling them as being calling them um, unfaithful to the gospel, unfaithful to truth, and 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 then you know I scratch my head, look at some of my friends who have been labeled unfaithful to the gospel. And I've known them for years, and I I said that dude's more orthodox than you are. <laughs> but it means what they mean by that is that you, you don't, you don't agree with me politically. You don't know, you don't take this stand with me. Right. And so 
I think we could use a, a bit of what Paul told Timothy, right? When he said to Timothy, hey, hey, buddy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And that, you know, that word means in the Greek, Greek text there, it means that uh, the Lord's servant must not be combative. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we're looking for fights right now. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, my major concern is that, um, you know, the culture is the culture. The culture is going to do what the culture does. OK. And lost people are going to do what lost people do. But my major concern is the polarization that's taken place within the family of God. Mm. That to me, that is that is troubling. It is it's, it's disappointing. And frankly, I think it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So it is. You wrote a you've written a bunch of books, but you wrote one that I considered the one of the best leadership books I've ever read called Leadership as Identity. Mm. For our listeners that have not read that, would you give us the the reason behind that book? What inspired that book, and what was your 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 major thesis there? <laughs> yeah, in fact, I just uh, the revised edition is coming out in February. Uh, oh, great! Yeah, yeah. So you know, I uh, years ago I was asked to teach a, a course at Trinity Seminary on on leadership, the essence of biblical leadership. That sounds like a seminary course. <laughs> it does yeah, it does. And. Uh, and so in preparation for the course, I just, uh, you know, and I love to read about leadership. I read everything I can get my hands on uh, about, you know, leadership from a Christian perspective. But as I read through a number of those books, I, I, I sort of pushed back a little bit. And I thought to myself, um, these books, all of them are very helpful. But I thought to myself, I don't know if the Bible actually teaches that. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I actually pushed it aside and I thought to myself, Okay, what is it that every great man or woman of God, what is it that they had in common that God trusted with his assignments? And so that was the inspiration for the course. Mm. And having taught that course over the years, and then people asking me and my students asking me, well, you know, write about this or whatever. Mm -hmm. The book came out of that. And the book is just uh, really an expansion of, of the course that I taught on leadership. Uh, at Trinity Seminary, but it answers the question, you know, um, what is it that every great man and woman of God, what, that, what, that they had in common that God trusted uh, with his assignments? And, and I, you know, in the book, I point out that uh, there are four critical characteristics, you know, um, um, and these things, four characteristics should be true of everybody, every believer, but they are exponentially true of followers of Christ. And, um, and that is brokenness, uncommon communion, servanthood as an identity, and radical immediate obedience. So mm-hmm. and I fleshed that out in the book, as you as you know. Mm. Well, that's what I love about it, is there's a lot of leadership books out there that are more tactical as far as here's what you do, and here's how you yeah. gain a following, and those kind of things. But this was, here's who you're supposed to be. This is where leadership comes from, and mm. that's the that's the beauty of the Bible. Is it's just filled with a bunch of broken people. Yeah, yeah, and, and let me just say something which loops back around to our previous. You know, leadership in the Bible is prophetic, mm. meaning that the leader has to be the portrait of the desired destination at which that entity needs to arrive. That's why character is everything, and so it is in terms of Christians, the church. The church of Jesus Christ is a prophetic presence. It's a visible representation at which the culture should arrive. Mm. And so the larger question is, 
for the church is not not just whether or not we're speaking the truth, but are we portraits of Jesus? Hmm. Are, are the way we live? I mean, is that inviting to the culture? Does that tell the truth about the kingdom of God? Hmm. And so that's what leadership is all about. And God is into incarnation, right? Mm. He's into presence, not just proclamation, but the integrity and character behind what you say. So, yeah. So well said. All right. I want to, I, I, I like to ask this question to pastors, but you've already done this. And the question I usually ask is, what do you want to preach on your last sermon? Uh, now, obviously, you're still preaching, but you 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 spoke on Easter. Yeah. Uh, give me this your your favorite, and not even favorite, but the final passage you'd like to preach from if you knew this was the last time you will preach. Mm. Wow, that is a great question. Huh. I'm actually torn between two. Okay, I'll give you two. It's a two-parter. <laughs> okay. Second Timothy 4. Okay. Paul's eulogy of himself. And uh, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. Uh, and uh, that, that text. But then, you know, you know, one that I'm drawn to is 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That's, that's when David calls Solomon in and David is dying. Mm. And David... This is astonishing to me. He challenges Solomon to make three critical decisions that will cause him to make it home before dark or sustain his kingdom. You know, and uh, I often quote this line. I heard this from a friend of mine a number of years ago that when we're born, we look like our parents. But when we die, we look like our decisions. <laughs> and uh, David David challenges Solomon in First Kings chapter two, verses one through four. Let me see if I can remember this. He challenges him to he, he, he tells him, decide to live courageously, decide to live obediently and decide to live faithfully. And uh, I just want to leave those footprints in the sand for, for the next generation. So maybe that's what I would talk about. Wow. That's fantastic. Here I thought you'd go with the layup, John 3.16, Luke 15. <laughs> Man, those are brilliant. I love that. I don't know. I don't know. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you for so much more than just the time we've had together today. Thank you for your legacy of leadership. Thank you for being a leader worth following. Thank you for being a person that was a, a clear voice over these last couple of years. I've heard you interviewed multiple times. I heard you preach at North Point, and, mm. and it was... Um, it was so, so helpful for pastors like me that obviously I tell people all the time that, hey, this was my first pandemic. Give me a little bit of grace. But uh, very few could stand up and, and offer a clear word as to how we should lead through. And you were one of them. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a real, real treat. Blessings on you, my friend. Thank you. My goodness, I'm going to listen to that several times. And I know there's somebody you want to share that with. And if you're not a pastor, share it with a pastor and say, I think this will encourage you. He is such an incredible communicator and a wealth of wisdom. So make sure you pass on the words of Crawford Loritz. Next week, we'll be back with brand new content as we move full throttle into the Christmas season. That's some great stuff coming up in the month of December that will help you and your church and your family experience a great Christmas. So make sure you join us next week. And as always, keep it simple.
Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.